0: You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at the genealogies, we looked at the overview of the, uh, of the, of the book of the First Chronicles, and today we're going to dive into the topic of worship, and I'll get to how that matches up with Mother's Day and all the things for us here in just a moment. But earlier this week, I came across an article um, that was published a couple years ago, uh, but the title of the article was We've No Less Days to Sing God's Praise, But New Worship Songs Only Last a Few Years. The, art, the, 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 the journalist writing said this, he says, Looking at the top songs at those churches, 160,000 churches across North America, he, he interviewed and looked, looked at uh, via Song Select, which is a, 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 a I guess a publication that we use to kind of broadcast and copyright to say, hey, here are the songs we're singing. From 1988 to 2020, the researchers were able to identify a common life cycle for popular worship music. A song typically appears on the charts, rises, peaks, and then fades away as worship teams drop it from their Sunday morning set list. But the average arc of a worship song's popularity has dramatically shortened. From 10 to 12 years to a mere 3 to 4 years, and the researchers don't know why. Now we could stand here today and we could debate uh, about all the reasons why this happened, or, 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 or even debate statements like the, the one that this artist made. But what I want to ask the question this morning as we lean into what God has taught the people of God in First Chronicles, and ultimately will be teaching us, is the question of what is worship, and what, worship, what, sh- what should worship be? So what is worship and what should worship be? And I believe it's, it's fitting to talk about this on Mother's Day. Because it, if you look at the, the history of the church, what, what you'll find, even though oftentimes women were found, them, found themselves culturally at the margins, they played a central role in the success and the growth of the church. One author says this, One of the best kept secrets in Christianity is the enormous role that women played in the early church. So as we dive in this morning, I I want us to keep a, a, a thought, and kind of the main thing, the main thing this morning is, as much as we love our mothers, we gather together as a church to worship Jesus. That's why we have a cross in the middle of the room this morning, and we'll get to more of that. But we want to ask the question, what is worship and what should worship be? Over the last 50 years, worship music in the Christian world has become its own industry. Contemporary music, uh, contemporary Christian music is a multi-million dollar industry. Between publishing, radio play, licensing music to churches and live shows, this genre has shaped the culture of music around us. So much so that we can actually kind of make fun of it now. Y'all watch this, this quick video. John Christ. He's hilarious. I, and, and here's the reality. If, if you're walking in the doors today and you have no idea what you just watched because you're not familiar with Christian culture, uh, you know, I'm sorry. But <laughs> h- h- here's the deal. I, w- w- I played that video so that we can kind of see the reality is Christian worship ha- has kind of created its own culture. Uh, and, and we kind of have this whole idea and mindset of, of what good worship is is and, and as funny as that video is and i think in 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 some ways uh the the reason why it's so funny is the same reason why it hurts my heart because it's true you know there there's a truth in there that uh I mean, every morning i get up to, to come preach and I, I i wake up i think about ooh, what clothes am i going to wear today why why do i do that well i mean you might just say what well, because he wants to be presentable. No. It's not just that, right? There is some sort of humanly aspect inside of me that wants you to think more of me because I wear nicer clothes, right? Worship leaders that are wearing skinny jeans and looking all cool, why do they do that? I mean, what's the purpose? Is it to make much of Jesus or much of themselves? And, and, and please don't hear me, hear me wrong. I love skinny jeans, right? I do. I think you look really cool in them. I think your shoes are fly. I think all the things that we can do are great. I just want to ask the question this morning, though, is uh, what is the point of worship? Especially when we come together in in this facility, as we gather together as the church, what is worship? I mean, is is it about the hairdo and the clothes, the cool lights, the, the haze machine, or is there something deeper? I guess another way I want to ask the question is, has worship become a product that we consume rather than an act of service that we give God? I mean, has it become this thing that we produce so well because we're all about production in the West? Like, we want to make sure that we're efficient and things are excellent and and we kind of couch these things in a very good biblical box and we say, look, we give God our best and we want to make sure that we are efficient and that's something that God calls us to do as well. And so we, we find this place of worship, and we come in, and we've produced something that maybe God has said the purpose of it wasn't for you in the first place. It was for me. It was to point back to me. And when we think about worship, do we only think about what happens in this room with a amazing guitar solo, do, 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 right? Is that like what when I say worship, is that what we think about? Or is there something bigger? If I went around the room and, and asked every single one, what, what, what is the, the purpose of the church? I, I think we'd get a myriad of answers. We, we'd, get, we'd get answers all over the place. But I, I think some would say, well, the purpose is, is to encourage one another. Some would say it's to connect with those who are far from God. Maybe others would say, well, it's to teach us the Bible. This is, if I ask you what the purpose of the church is, this, this is some of the answers I might get. Or maybe if I asked it another way, who is the church for? Who is the church for? Some, some would say, well, the church exists for people to find God. Like, that's why the church exists, for, so that people can find God. While others might say that the church is for those who have found God. God. And this question of the church is really at the center of our question of what is worship, and who is it for, and what is it supposed to look like? Because if we can't define the church, how could we ever define the church's function? If we don't understand and own our God-gifted purpose, then we can never function, meaning we can never worship in the way that God has designed us to. The way that God has called us to. So if you're taking notes, the title of this sermon is Living History, Worship That Is Pure. And what we're going to look at in this First Chronicles text is, hopefully the bottom line this morning, is beyond just ritual. First Chronicles stresses the importance of proper and pure-hearted worship. So if you're in First Chronicles 13, we're going to start unpacking and preparing the way to get there. Last week, we, we started looking at the genealogies in First Chronicles. There's nine chapters of genealogies. If you've ever gone through a, a year in the Bible, kind of quiet time reading, you've probably got to these genealogies at one point. And those were the days that you hit your snooze alarm. Because the genealogies are very difficult to read. But what we established last week is that the genealogies are extremely important. Well, what we saw is that God's blessing from Abraham to Isaac, to Jacob, who then became Israel, all the way down to his 12 sons is a very important moment for you and I as Christ followers to understand, to see the blessings and the promise of God from one person all the way through to the future generations. And so when we're asking the question to get to our ultimate question, when we ask the question of who is the church, we need to go back to last week. And we need to unpack and understand the genealogies because this is the beginning set up for us. Deuteronomy 14.2 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord, your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So you have a chosen people that begins with Abraham. You are set apart. You are this kind of priestly nation as he calls him later. Now, Jesus comes from the line of Judah. This is one of the sons of Jacob, later to be named Israel. So he has 12 sons. One of those sons is Judah. And this is where Jesus' lineage comes from. Now, what we need to know is that this was kind of preordained. This was told to all the people that the Messiah would come from this line. And so Jesus comes, born of a virgin, living a perfect life, never sinning, and then takes on the sins of the world by dying on a cross, and then three days later, resurrecting from the dead, resurrecting from the grave, to then breaking the sins, breaking the bondage of this world. And what you see is this promise from Abraham all the way to Jesus, and then Jesus fulfills it for all of mankind. John 3:16 and 17, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So who is the church? Paul in Romans 10 says that anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord will be saved. So to track who is the church, there's a promise, a set-apart people from Abraham all the way to Jesus. Jesus fulfills all, all the promises of God and then opens it up to the people of the world and says, anyone who believes in me, the breaker of change, the Messiah, you are now in that family, that set-apart people. You are mine. First Corinthians 6.20 says you've been bought with a price. 1 Peter 2.9 says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So, this is important as we dive into 1 Chronicles and we try to understand what worship is. It's important to understand who does the worshiping. It is the church. It is that people, that set apart people of God. So when we read First Chronicles, it's those Israelites, but now in the new church, in, in the kind of the New Testament people of God, we are now grafted in by profession of faith in Jesus. So the church is anyone who has put their faith in Jesus. It means repented, turned from your sins, and put your faith in Jesus. You are now the church. So that was one of the questions I asked. The other one is, who is the church for? This is important because if we're going to understand worship, a way of looking at worship is a way we function. How do you function in this world? That's called worship. So the church is a set-apart people. Who is the church for? So the first answer to the question of who is the church, the church is anyone who has put their faith in Jesus. The question of who is the church for? The answer is everyone. Everyone. Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the church is made up of Christians. Those people who are set apart. They've they've repented and put their faith in Jesus. But it's not just for them. It's not a cool country club that they gather on Sunday mornings and it stays in the house. The church is made up of Christians, but the church is for everyone. We are to be a city on a hill. We are to be a, a, a signpost as you drive down the road and we point you... To someone greater and to something greater and this is the beginning definition of worship john piper famous pastor says this missions is not the ultimate goal of the church worship is because missions exist where there is no worship Do you see this? Like, churches have missions strategies. Why? We don't go to places where worship is in abundance. What do we do? We go to places where worship is lacking. We we go to places and we present the gospel because we are to proclaim the excellencies, as we've read earlier. So our worship, our expression is in of itself an act of missions. But the church does not solely exist for missions. It exists for the worship of God. So the church is the people of God, and the church is for the world. Now this is an important thing to understand as we dive in to this text. And it's going to be a long text, as Jay read earlier in Hebrews. I'm going to read a bunch from Chronicles, and hopefully, Lord willing, God puts it all together by the end. Here we go. 1 Chronicles chapter 13 beginning in verse 1. Y'all with me? Are you good? Nod your head, you're awake. Fantastic. Praise the Lord. Here we go. David consulted with the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, with every leader. Let me do a little side note here. This is a fantastic text for leadership principles. Like this is a, everyone loves to go to Nehemiah in the Bible for leadership principles. This text right here, solid. David takes over as king, And he immediately meets with every leader. Continue on. It says, David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you and from the Lord our God, let us send abroad to our brothers who remain in all the lands of Israel, as well as to the priests and the Levites in the cities that have pasture lands, that they may be gathered to us. Then let us bring again the ark, of our God to us. Let me stop there. You can freeze that slide. The ark of God to us. So here, here's what the ark is. The ark was was fashioned by the people of God, by the decree of God, so that he could then come and dwell with the people. And so in Exodus, you can see very specific uh, instructions on how to build this ark, on what to do with this ark. And what God did is he then came and resided with the people. And so in order for God to connect with the people, this ark was Crafted, And so this was a very important moment when he says, let us bring again the ark of our God. Because what he's talking about is how do we worship? How do we gather together and seek the Lord? So continue on. Then let us bring again the ark of our God to us. For we did not seek it in the days of Saul. Pause there. This was a very easy moment for David to throw Saul under the bus. I mean, Think think about leadership principles. You take over a new business, a, a, a new thing. And things weren't operating the way they should have in the past. And there was one leader over it. What do we often see? That person goes in and they say, yeah, that joker didn't know what he was doing. He's an idiot, right? He wasn't doing it right. But what does David do? David says, we did not seek it. In the days of Saul, David doesn't walk in and say, Yeah, look, we know Saul was not blessed by God. We know that he was kind of a curse upon us and he did everything terrible, but I'm going to come in and fix it. What does David do? David says, Look, we all dropped the ball, every single one of us, because we didn't worship God with our whole hearts and we didn't worship God fully. That's a big note. Continue on. All the assembly agreed to do so. For the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. He's winning, he's winning the people over here in his leadership. So David assembled all of Israel from the Nile of Egypt to Lebahamath to bring the ark of God from Kirith-Jerim. And David and all of Israel went up to Bala, that is to Kirith-Jerim that belongs to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called By the name of the Lord who sits enthroned above the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab and Uzzah and Ahio were driving the cart. And David and all of Israel were celebrating, they were worshiping, they were praising God with all of their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. And when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon and Uzzah, they put out his hand to take hold of the ark. For the oxen had stumbled. So Uzzah goes to touch the ark. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And he struck him down. The Lord struck Uzzah down because he put out his hand to the ark and he died there before God. It says David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez-Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day. And he said, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? If we, if we touch it, we die, is what he's saying. How can I trust God in this situation? So David did not take the ark home into the city of David. But he took it aside to the house of obed the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the household of Obed Edom in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed the household of Obed Edom and all that he had. There's really two big points from this text that we need to take. The first one, the way we worship matters. The way we worship matters. In Exodus 25, the people were given very specific instructions on, on, on how to build the ark, I mean, t- to the inch. And then God gave very specific instructions on how they could carry the ark. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 8 says, At that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi. So this is one of those 12 sons that we lined up last week. Levi. He wasn't given any land in the promised land. He was set apart to then lead the priestly nation. The tribe of Levi. To carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord. To stand before the Lord. To minister to Him. And to bless in his name to this day. So there are very specific instructions on on who could carry this ark. And it was the Levites. It was the the Levitical priests. It was the people and the priests of God. God then gave them very very specific instructions on how to carry the ark. In, In Numbers 7, it says that only Levites could carry them. So, they had, these big, they had these two long kind of handles that they would carry on both sides of this big, long wooden chest, if you can imagine it. And, 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 it, and it was then carried by them, not, specifically says in, in number seven, not to be then put upon oxen or cattle or any other type of beast. It was to be carried by the Levitical priests this way. And what this text is is screaming to the people of God in 1 Chronicles, those Israelites who have been taken from their land, they've now gone back to their land, they have less than they ever had before, and they're kind of feeling sorry for themselves. And what the Chronicler is trying to convey to the people of God through the inspiration of the Lord is that the way that they worship matters. See, what did he do? What did Uzzah do? He Put down the ways of the Lord, and he went to go touch the ark. Was it ever to have been on oxen? Because it says the oxen stumbled, right? Was it ever to have been on the oxen? No, it wasn't. But they were kind of cutting corners. Some might even try to make the argument that, oh, maybe some of them didn't know. Maybe David didn't know. Well, they knew. They had the Old Testament text. They knew. They knew how they were supposed to worship. But they were looking at efficiency. They were looking at. Production. They were, they were looking to do it their way because it was better, it was quicker, it was more efficient. Maybe it was more excellent. And so he's reminding them that the way we worship God matters. The, the, the second thing he, he's reminding them of is the why of worship matters. So the first one is the way, but the second one is the why See, David didn't un- understand God. And you can see this clearly because why? When Uzzah touches him and then dies, David's fearful. And David's like, well, I don't know what's, don't know what's going on. I'm going to leave the ark right here. And what David does in that moment is that he made decisions to miss the blessings of God. Because what does it say about the family that kept the ark? That they received the blessings Of God, Now, this isn't one of those like, hey, if you go and pray the right way and worship the right way and do everything the right way, that God's going to extremely bless your household with stuff. But I do think this is a note that says, look, when you're doing the right thing for the right reason at the right time, and you're worshiping God in spirit and truth as he calls us to in, in his word, then you will see the blessings of God in your life. The why of your worship matters. See, sometimes as worship music has progressed and our culture has progressed and we've learned how to worship God more experientially, we've also then begun to build a culture of Christians where we don't necessarily want to learn more about the God we worship. We just want more of the good feelings of the God that we worship. Does that make sense? I mean, do you get what I'm saying? Like, if, if, I, if I put up, hey, let's go have a, a Bible study, the chances of getting a, a, a large turnout might be smaller than if I put, hey, we're going to have a night of worship. What if I even say, hey, we're going to have a night of worship down at Luther Williams Field. Or, hey, we're going to have a night of worship right in the middle of Truist Park, downtown Atlanta. People are going to show up. If I go get the best worship band, like we're going to be packed in that place. But I say, hey, if we're going to gather at Truist Field, we're going to have a Bible study. I mean, even if it's led by one of the best—not a sermon, a Bible study. Like, not, not, not. See, the sermon is pretty, right? If a good preacher gets up and de- gets up and does his job well, what what happens is when we leave, our our heartstrings have been tugged and we've we've just been inspired and there's been this really good feeling. But ask the question: Is that what? Worship is for you to have a good feeling. I mean, is worship about the creation, or is it about the Creator? I mean, is it, why why do we exist? What's the purpose of these things? If if we've been bought with a price, and we are now the church, and the church is for the world, meaning we are supposed to be this, this people that tell everyone about the glory and the grandeur of our God. Why are we so quick to turn worship about how we feel? You know, that song really hit because the bass line was really good. Now, you may not say that because you may not be musically inclined, but let me go ahead and tell you, Hunter Williams, you're our worship director, right? If we execute this well up here, there's a better feeling in the room, isn't there? Like, we spend time during the week going, well, make sure we have the keyboard and the pad behind this moment, because it'll feel empty if we don't. Now look, I love music. I love production. I, I, I love excellence. But I, I tell him, and I tell our staff, Jeremy, we talk about it all the time. If we exist, and we come together, we put together these services so that we can Leave going, man, that was really cool. We have missed the point. Like, if you came here because I'm a good preacher, you have missed the point. My preaching is only to magnify God. That's it. And the moment in which I take my preaching to magnify myself, I need to be aware that God can ruin that and take it from me right in that moment. Because I'm in it for Him. I, don't, I need to remember why worship matters and the why and the who matter because I could fall just like Uzzah in that moment and so could you. Your worship matters. The why of your worship matters. What if the greatest blessing of God? I mean, if you, you sit around and think, man, if I could really be blessed by God, what, pull that thing up in your mind, Right? A year free subscription of Netflix? Is it bigger than that? A house? A child? A new car? Student loans paid off? Like, what, what, what is the biggest blessing that you could ever receive from God? Think about it. Pull it up. What if the answer was just him? I, I mean, what if when we gathered together as the church, And we met for worship. And we can still do all this other stuff. And, you know, side note do you know why we do some of the cool stuff? Hint it isn't for Christians. The reason why production was created is because we want to get the person who maybe went to the really cool bar or concert Saturday night. And when they walk in, they have some semblance of this isn't the weirdest thing I've ever been to in my life. Right? I mean, think about it. If you've never been to church, now I know that might be hard for some of us to to think about because we're in the southeast, but even in our city, there's right now projected around 100,000 people who are far from God. Now that doesn't mean they've never been to church, but let's venture to say that 50,000 of them have never darkened the doors of a gospel church. When they walk in, we can throw it back to 1960 you know, and we can have an organ and we can make you stand and sit every other song. Sometimes we do it, I guess, anyway. You know what I'm talking about? It's like calisthenics worship that, that morning, right? And we can all dress up in, in really nice clothes. And listen, there is not a thing wrong with this necessarily. I'm not trashing this mode of worship. This will reach somebody. There are people who walk in here and go, you guys are too contemporary. I need that stand up, sit down and suit worship. And that's fine. But the reason why production and cool haze and all this works is because I'm trying to reach the person who doesn't know or care a thing about Jesus. I want them to come to this door and go, that was kind of cool. Maybe I want to come back next week. The people were really nice. I didn't have to, like, fake who I was. I could come in as broken and as ugly as I truly am in my heart of hearts. And these people, they loved me for who I was. Now, what they'll learn, hopefully, over time, is that God does love you right where you are, but he doesn't want you to stay right where you are. Change happens. The Holy Spirit will regenerate you, is this big word that we use. He'll make you new. And so if you stay the same, then you haven't had an encounter with the living God because the greatest why of worship, the greatest benefit of worship, the greatest blessing is God Himself. It's not the cool feelings that you get. It's not the moment. It's not the lights. It's not any of that. As the band comes up and my cross movers move the cross for me, I want to ask you a question. How often do we worship through a song, through a prayer, maybe through giving, serving, or, e- or even in our attendance? How often do we worship in these ways? With the expectation that we will receive something from God rather than receiving God Himself. Thank you, man. Man, Tim, you're here one day. We're putting you to work, baby. That's how I like it. There it is. That's right. That's Tim. That's uh, Jeremy Bulls' dad. In case Everybody say, hey, Tim. Let's embarrass you. Appreciate you. Love you. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. But I mean, seriously, how often do we show up for worship? And we, we, we serve big, we, we give well, we've checked that attendance box off. We maybe, maybe even invited someone to come with us. And our expectation is that, man, God's going to do something in my life. Rather than, man, I'm just going to worship God for who He is today. What if we could start making choices to choose the Creator rather than the creation? That Hebrews 12 and 13 passage that Jay read for us earlier. I chose that text and you should go back and read it later because th- this is a, a book written to the Jewish people in the New Covenantal times. So think, I think it's somewhere in that 50, 60... AD period so this is a a book written by the Jewish people for the Jewish people about Jesus and what they do is they kind of unpack some of these same principles that we find in first Chronicles and they show the people who are reading this here is what true and honorable worship is and if you go through that text what you'll see is it your life. It isn't just Sunday morning for an hour, that Wednesday night Bible study, or even VBS serving, which you should do, by the way. That first passage that he read says that God is a consuming fire. When we wrap our heads and our hearts around the person of Jesus, And we truly understand who He is. We can't help but be changed. And the change comes. And then we react in worship. The way we raise our kids is worship. The way that you work at a job that you hate right now is worship. The way you respond to that fast food attendant who forgot your cheeseburger it can be worship. Everything that you do in your life is a mode of worship. It's either worshiping the one true living God or yourself. So I'm going to challenge us to get weird this morning. Don't y'all, y'all came to Mother's Day Sunday morning for, to get weird, right? There's a saying that says you go to Mother's Day, or for Mother's Day you go to church, for Father's Day you go to the lake. Hopefully that's not true for us, but I know we all get it up and get dressed up. Here, here's the thing, I, I put this cross at the front and center, I actually thought about having it there the entire time, but I just decided that would be a little too awkward. So, so here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, we're going to sing a couple of songs. And Down front, I, I, I've got some, some pins and some sticky pads. I want us to, to really search in our hearts, ha- have we distorted true worship? Like, have we turned may- maybe this into an idol? May- maybe it's, maybe it's an, uh, an idol that is, is just apathy. M- maybe, maybe it's something else. I don't, I don't want to put words in your Maybe it's the mundane of worship. It's just church. Let's just go to church. we got to do this. Maybe, maybe if you're a parent in the room, maybe it's, I want to go to church so that my kids know. As much as I appreciate your kids knowing, I think Jesus wants you to know too. And so what we've got down front is some pens and some notepads or some sticky pads. And I just want to encourage you in the next couple of songs to, to come down, grab a pen, grab one sticky note. Maybe write down the thing that's been getting in the way of your worship. Don't sign it, because I don't want to know your sin. It's between you and the Lord. And know that Jesus pinned it on the cross for you. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever struggles in your life, addictions, things that get in the way of your worship, Jesus died on the cross for that to be gone. And so in the next few minutes, I, I want us to pin our, our idols, our apathies, what, whatever's going on that keeps you from coming to this place, maybe, maybe even in your quiet time at your house, that keeps you from seeing that God is the prize, not the blessings of God. Pin it on the cross and know that he's paid it for you. It, it, if you've never taken that step to, to become a child of God, I, I'll sit right over there. I'd love to pray with you. The altar is open. You can come pray with by yourself. You want to grab one of our elders. You want to grab a staff member. Maybe not Hunter. He's in mid-song. Although that would make an interesting worship song, though, wouldn't it? This is, this is a space where we come together as the body of, God, body of Christ, and we get messy because it's not about the production. It's about Jesus the cross front and center let me pray god thank you so much for who you are lord i pray that in these next few moments whatever's getting in the way of our worship maybe maybe we're tired maybe maybe we're we feel like our, our tank is empty and we're not feeling the spirit of god in the moment maybe we haven't been going through spiritual disciplines and So we haven't been reading our Bible, we haven't been praying, we haven't been journaling, fasting, reaching out to you, whatever those are. God, may, may we pin something on the cross. And may you remind us today that you have set us free from the bondage of this world. That we can function fully in you. And God, on this Mother's Day, as we honor our moms, May we never forget that you made a way for every single one of us. Those that maybe come in this room today with baggage with their mothers, or as mothers, that they feel like they haven't done good enough, or their mom didn't do good enough. That God, that your blood set them free as well. Help us to embrace forgiveness and grace that you modeled for us. Help us to love you and worship you in spirit and in truth. And God's people said,